Um, going to hear from Nick this morning. Um, he's coming over from East, so that's great to have him. So um, if you'd like to open your Bibles or phones up to Mark chapter 10, we're going to be reading verses um, 35 to 45. Um, and just as you're turning to that, we'll just remember that through these scriptures that we're reading, um, we're told of God's divine love for us, his grace, his mercy for us, and all of that. Um, is shown in the birth of Jesus and and what we're waiting here in Advent for, the birth um, of our Lord. And so as we read these words, just remember, um, yeah, God's divine love for us um, and his mercy on us. So um, verse 35, and James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, teacher, we want you to do us, do for, <laughs> to do for us what, whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism which I am baptized, you will be baptized but to sit at my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant in James, at James and John. And Jesus called to them, called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered the rulers of the Gentiles lord, lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you, you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for Nick. Um, thank you for um, your love for him and just allowing him to come over and, and share your word with us. I pray as he comes up, you would um, give him peace and you would give him wisdom um, and you would just give us the ability to hear what he says. Um, yeah, and just learn about your love for us. Um, yeah, just as we wait for Jesus to come. Amen. Um, really great to be here with you all in South this morning. Um, it's great to see you all here. Um, my name's Nick. I'm one of the elders from Village East, for any of you who don't know me. Um, yep, it's, 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 it'll be nice to meet you afterwards um, if I haven't spoken to you before. Um, I won't try and claim the joke as my own because Andrew's already made it this week, but um, this week you have a man journeying to you from the East. So um, I won't make any claims to be particularly wise. Um, I don't have any physical gifts. I left my frankincense and whatever else at home. But um, what I do bring is gospel greetings and just assurances of prayer from all of your brothers and sisters in East. Um, we continue to bring you before the Lord often. Um, we love you all. We love what the Lord is doing in and through you all here in South Belfast. Um, and it's always really encouraging for me to, to come here and, and just to see this this picture of God building his church that you all, that you all are here. So, um, so yeah, be assured of our, of our prayers. We pray for you as, you as you gather on Sundays. We pray for your MCs as they're meeting um, and just all that the, the Lord is doing in and through you all here. <clears throat> 
So once again this morning, uh, we're continuing in our Advent series of looking at the person of Jesus, the both fully man and fully God, son of man, as he most frequently described himself as. As we look at this title, the son of man, we see not only the, the deity of Jesus in whom all fullness of deity was pleased to dwell, we also see the, the very fulfillment of prophecy that he was, but more than that, we also see his humanity, his humility and the ways in which he came to us as a baby, a very real baby who probably cried a lot with, with dirty nappies and everything else that babies do. Um, this is the very essence of the nativity. Um, I love this time of year. Um, really special part of this time of year for, for me and for most of us is, is Christmas carols. Um, I love Christmas carols as much as anyone. Um, my one criticism is that, that some of them maybe, maybe diminish the, the humanity of Jesus a little bit. So we think of Away in a Manger, for example, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he made. Jury's out in that one for me completely. Um, I'm not buying it anyone who's had a newborn um, in hospital, at home, never mind a manger. Um, it's maybe not going to ring true. Um, Jesus was a very real human baby, cried a lot, and probably pooped a lot too. So, But as we see, it's not just about the birth of this little baby. Um, the good news of the gospel is not just that, that Jesus came to us in this way, but that because of his life, death, and resurrection, that he continues to draw near to us. He continues to come to us afresh each and every day. Over the first two weeks of Advent, we looked firstly at the Son of Man coming to seek and save the lost. And then we looked last week at the Son of Man who came eating and drinking. And over those two weeks, we saw the, the why and then the how of the person and life of Jesus. Why he came and how he came. And this morning, just, just to remind ourselves, because it's always important, we're going to once again go back to the why. Why Jesus came. Now, we've read the passage. It's no... It's no big spoiler. The answer to that is going to come in verse 45. But we're going to unpack just what this verse, and, and a verse that a lot of us are probably very familiar with, um, we're going to unpack just what that is telling us about the life and the person of Jesus, the Son of Man who came to us, and what that means for us in our lives. Why he came, what he came to do for us, and why that is such good news for us, even in ways we've perhaps never considered. In what Jesus tells us about himself in verse 45 here, I hope you'll see with me this morning a verse that carries the whole weight and wonder of why he came. So that this Advent, if you find yourself over, over Christmas or throughout Advent in conversation with friends or family or colleagues about what the, the meaning of Christmas really is, why Christmas is important to you, that you can confidently answer that it's about the Son of Man coming not to be served, but to serve and you can answer that with a full knowledge of the full extent of how good that news is for us. So before we get stuck in, let's, let's just pray once more this morning before we look at the passage. Heavenly Father, as we turn to your word this morning, uh, we just ask that you would help us once again. Help me, as inadequate as my words are, to speak only what is of you and what is true and good and edifying to your church and glorifying to you. Holy Spirit, soften our hearts and give us ears to hear your voice this morning. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. So as we begin this morning, we're going to backtrack. Amy's putting her coat on. It's, it's cold. <laughs> 
Um, as we begin, let's backtrack a little to verse 35 and look at this exchange that we see taking place between Jesus and his disciples and, and primarily between Jesus and James and John. These two brothers who are referred to uh, in other parts of scripture as the sons of thunder. Um, I have to confess, every time I hear this, I struggle not to think of like 90s wrestling. I was saying to, to, to Andrew, it's like a, a good tag team name or something like that. Um, also Googled it and, and quite predictably found that there was a 60s and 70s Christian rock band called Sons of Thunder as well. Um, but we see these two brothers come to Jesus with what seems like a request, but when we actually look a little closer, it's really more of a demand. And they ask, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Um, it's almost like those times when those of you who have children probably experience that they come up to you and ask if you'll say yes to what they're going to ask you before they actually ask you. Please don't say no, daddy. But, um, and Jesus says to them, what do you want me to do for you? And so they continue, grant that we may sit in your glory, one on your right and one on your left. I think you start to see where that, that Sons of Thunder thing comes from. It's a pretty brave or brazen request. Um, one that a Northern Irish person definitely wouldn't be direct or forthright enough probably to have asked for. Um, but it's easy to look at these two and think, you idiots, like, come on guys, what are you doing? Let's take encouragement that these two works in progress, James and John, were counted by Jesus among his closest followers. Um, I myself find it hopeful um, just how gracious and patient Jesus is as he deals with these two. And while they have a lot wrong here, um, as we'll see in, in what they're asking of Jesus, James and John get one thing right. See in verse 37, when they, when they say that, that Jesus is destined for glory, they're right about that. They say, when you sit in your glory, they knew that Jesus would one day take his seat in glory and rule the world. Despite knowing this, Jesus has to reply to them and say, you do not know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Of course, they say, we're able. But Jesus says, the cup that I drink, you shall drink and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. So James and John, they have this desire for greatness, this desire to be great in the kingdom. But what they hadn't grasped was that the route to glory was a route of suffering and death. They didn't understand the cup and the baptism that Jesus was talking about. Verse 38, Jesus says, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I'm baptized? They said yes, but they had no idea that the cup Jesus spoke of was the cup in the Garden of Gethsemane, the cup which Jesus pleaded with his father that if there was another way besides what he was about to endure through death by crucifixion, would he please take it away? But yet nonetheless, Jesus said, not what I will, but what you will. They had no idea that the baptism Jesus was speaking of was an immersion in suffering, which he speaks of in Luke 12, when he says, I have a baptism to undergo and how constrained I am until it is accomplished. So Jesus says to John, James and John, if you want in on this, if you want to rule with me in my glory the way you're asking, then you must die with me. You must drink from the same cup. If you want the kind of honor you're asking for, you must follow me in my suffering and death. 
Jesus takes that, that desire for glory that they show, and he shows them that the path to this glory is through suffering and through death. Do you want to be in glory with me, Jesus asks? Then walk with me on this path of death and suffering. Now, what happens then is definitely a more commonplace sight in our part of the world, and that's that the other disciples get bent out of shape and start talking among themselves about what James and John have been doing. But to these other disgruntled disciples, Jesus says pretty much the same thing that he said to James and John, albeit in different words. So verse 41 says that they're indignant with James and John. So Jesus calls them together, and he says in verse 42, you know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you, you shall be, you shall be your servant. <clears throat> and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. Just as he has said to James and John, if you want to be great with me in my glory, you must drink the cup of my suffering. And now here he's telling the rest of the disciples, if you too want to partake in this, you must become a servant. And if you want to be first, you must be slave of all. Jesus here is once again painting a picture of life in his kingdom, this, this upside down, back to front kingdom where first shall be last and last shall be first. And then in verse 45, where we're going to be focusing this morning, he shows how he himself will exemplify this. Jesus says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus is talking about a service that results in dying, a giving up of his life. Having shown James and John the way to glory, here in verse 45, he shows the rest of the disciples the way to greatness, and he gives his own death as an example. Both cases, he's given his death as an example of the kind of suffering and service that his disciples are called to. The suffering and service that you and I are called to as his followers. So that's, that's the context of verse 45 as we get to it. It's part of a very radical call to discipleship. If you want to follow me and seek the glory of the kingdom, be prepared to suffer. Be prepared to die. That is the way I go, and those who follow me go the same way, Jesus says. He talks about this in Matthew 7 and Mark 8 when he says that the road that leads to life is hard and few find it, and that he who would come after me must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, if you're familiar with this passage that we've read this morning, <clears throat> and, and this call to discipleship that we, see, that we see unfolding in it, I wonder how you've read these verses before. Do you read that and see only Jesus as the example to follow? So I think at first glance, you could be mistaken in thinking, as perhaps some of the disciples were, that in this call to radical discipleship, Jesus by his example alone is providing the answer or the keys to, the, to his kingdom. Become a slave of all, and you will inherit this kingdom and all the glory that will come along with it. Now, here's the problem. If that's the good news of the gospel, the good news that Christmas and the birth of Jesus represents, it's not particularly good news for us. Jesus just laid out this, this radical expectation that he has of his disciples. He says, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you must become a servant of all. 
He's expecting his disciples, his followers, to be radically different from the way people normally function and operate. They're to serve each other and all people, and in doing so, be prepared to suffer any harm it will cost, even to the point of death. If you want to follow me, Jesus says, and seek the glory of the kingdom, be prepared to suffer. We read this as just Jesus once again confirming that his followers will one day sit with him in glory and honor in his kingdom. And to get there, you just need to be prepared to lay your life down, making yourself a slave to all, even death and suffering, because this is what Jesus did and he's the example that we're to follow. We're missing out on what Jesus is telling us about himself here. Quick side note, that that radical discipleship that we're called to um, does for all of us in different ways involve all of the above um, that we've just mentioned. We're not getting off the hook on that this morning. But if this is the path to the kingdom he promises, then we have a big problem. Because I, for one, know that I in and of myself don't suffer well. I don't particularly want to die. Never mind willingly choose to do either of those things. And I also know that my inclination in my heart as a sinner is to serve myself before anyone else. So once again, if that were the only message of Christmas and Christianity and the coming of Jesus into the world, it wouldn't be such good news. There would be no gospel because I, myself, I need more than for someone to tell me what I should do and should be. I need help to be and to do that. Let's look more closely at what Jesus is saying in verse 45. And as we do, I believe we'll see where the good news of Christmas is most illuminated, most apparent, and we see an incredible truth for us that many of us, even as Christians, live our lives not consciously aware of. So we've just seen this difficult call to radical discipleship that Jesus issues his followers before giving his death as as the example of the kind of suffering and service that his disciples are called to. But praise God, praise God that Jesus, what Jesus is declaring here is so much more than just an example to follow. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Still, even as we read that, I think we're tempted to think this is Jesus, Jesus just providing us with an example. Don't lord your position over others, serve them. Why? Because this is the example that Jesus gives. He gives his life, go and do likewise. But if we look, just at, if we look at this verse and just meditate a little longer, you see that this is so much more. Because this is not just Jesus saying, serve the way I serve. This is the son of man promising to serve us. This is the Son of Man promising to rescue us from our sin and from death. This is the Son of Man refusing to be served by us and instead willingly insisting on being our servant and our Savior. Let me put that a different way. Jesus, the Son of Man, the one who came to suffer like us, to die instead of us, to set us free from slavery to sin, isn't just showing us here how we are to live and serve and love others. Jesus, more than that, says... I came to serve you, to be your servant, to lay myself down for you. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. That word for servant here literally means to wait on tables. It's the same word that we get that we get deacon from today. Um, so when Jesus was looking for a word to describe why he came to you and to me, he said, I, I came to wait on you. I came to, I came to meet your needs. 
God in the flesh says, I came to meet your needs. How scandalous is that? Yes, this, this is absolutely a call to act the way Jesus acted, but it's so much more. Son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. Who did he come not to be served by? Those very disciples that he's calling to drink the cup and endure his baptism and to be slave of all, you and me. And so what Jesus is really doing here is giving us the most incredible promise of present and future grace. And in doing so, he goes where no prophet or religious leader has ever gone in history, showing us that the primary call for those who want to follow him is not to serve him, but be served by him. The good news, the good news of Christmas, brothers and sisters, is that the radical call to Christian discipleship is not a call to serve Jesus, but to be served by Jesus as we then serve others and are ransomed by him from death. I know I'll struggle to convey this morning just, just how shocking this verse really is. I'm probably going to repeat myself a lot, but it, it's so important that we get this this morning, church. We often think about ourselves as servants of God, which we rightly should. The New Testament clearly teaches that we're servants of Christ, as Paul describes. We're servants of God. We follow him. We worship him. Absolutely. In that sense, we're servants of God. Jesus himself also calls us servants in other contexts. When he says that the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. So of course we're servants of Jesus in that we submit to him and we submit to his right to ask us to do anything that he pleases. He's not our servant in the sense that we command him how to live, but he is our servant in the sense that he uses all of his, desi- his divine resources to help us and strengthen us and guide us and support us and provide our needs. This is Jesus, son of man, God in the flesh, saying he came not to be served by us, but to serve us. He came as our servant. Jesus says, I came to serve you. Let that soak in. So believe it or not, the application in a way for us this morning is stop trying to serve Jesus. Jesus says, be my disciples, but don't try and serve me. Nowhere in these verses that we've read this morning does Jesus say, I came that you might serve me. He's saying, yes, drink my cup. Yes, share my baptism. Yes, serve others. Yes, be the slave of all. This is what it means to be my, my disciple, but don't serve me. I've not come to be served. I will not be served like this. This does not serve me. This does not put me in your debt. I will be the servant. I have come not to be served, but to serve. Jesus says, in this relationship, in your relationship with me, I will be the servant. I will serve you. I will work for you because there is nothing you can do for me. Jesus says, I have no need. Acts 17 tells us that he's not served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all men life and breath and everything. Jesus' questioning of James and John from earlier in the passage, I think we can see at this stage, was, was clearly kind of rhetorical. Jesus knew that they could not drink the cup and endure the suffering he called them to in and of themselves. So do we think today that we can do that? 
Can we drink the cup and walk in the ways that he calls us to without his help and without his service? Do you think this morning that you can endure the suffering of his baptism without him serving you and helping you? You think you can become the kind of person that denies himself and renounces the approval of this world to serve all other people without him first serving you? I'm telling you this morning that you can't do it. We've spoken a lot in village over the past maybe three, four, maybe even five years about the importance of abiding in him, abiding in his rest, being with Jesus before we do anything for Jesus. And this is exactly what Jesus is talking about here. What we see in John 15 when he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers work in vain. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says, you cannot drink my cup, you cannot endure my baptism, you cannot serve each other, you cannot become a slave of all. To do any of this, you must first abide in me and I in you. Or in the words of today's passage, you must let me serve you. Trust me to serve you. The abiding in the vine and being served by Jesus are one and the same. <clears throat> so to each of us this morning, Jesus, that's the, the son of man, God in the flesh, is willing and asking you today, how can I help you? But more than that, he's saying, here's how I and only I can help you. This is Christianity. This is Jesus. Jesus didn't come as some majestic figurehead whose every need was to be catered for by his lowly subjects. Jesus came to be the lowly servant of you and of me. This is the essence of Christianity, and I think so many of us miss this on a day-to-day -day basis. But how did we become a follower of Jesus in the first place? See, our Christian life begins the moment we stop trying to serve God and offer him something and instead trust him to serve us. It's from the moment you were born, you have needed Jesus to do something for you, to serve you, to cover the stain of your sin, to forgive you, to free you, to serve you in that way. And that's why Jesus says he came. He came because God wants to serve you forgive you from your sin, free you from slavery, and give you eternal life with him. And so we admit that we need help. We turn to Christ and we say, I can't be or do what I know I'm supposed to be or do. I'm desperate. I need something way beyond who I am and what I'm capable of. I need you. I turn to you because I can bring nothing to the table myself. We say, I trust you to show me mercy. I trust you to serve me. But what I think we forget sometimes is that once we ask Jesus to serve us in this way, we, we don't move on from needing to be served by Jesus. The Christian life must become a life of daily being served by Jesus. When you become a Christian or, or a disciple of Jesus, you don't become his helper. He becomes your helper. You don't become his benefactor, he becomes your benefactor. You don't become his servant, he becomes your servant. Jesus doesn't need your help this morning. He commands your obedience and he promises his help. 
See, that grace that saved us in the first place is the grace that we are so dependent on to sustain us through this walk. And in this grace and in his offer to serve us, all of his other radical commands and this radical call to discipleship, these are no longer things we do for him, but things that he enables us to do for others. John Piper writes that the Christian life is a life of serving others in the strength that he supplies as our servant. Christian life is a life of serving others in the strength that he supplies as our servant. It is loving others with the love he gives us as our servant. It is sacrificing and suffering with the hope and joy and patience that he gives us as our servant. Jesus doesn't just serve us to the point of salvation. In fact, he serves us every single day in our salvation. Because every morning when we wake up, you and I are needy. We're all needy. I have so many needs in my life. I need wisdom in this or that. I'm weak here and there. I feel tempted in any number of things. And therefore, I need his help daily. And the whole point of why Jesus came, why the Son of Man came, is to say, I've come to help you. So as you think about your needs in this world and in this life, all that is difficult, challenging, or painful, Jesus is saying, I'm going to wait on you. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to give you the wisdom you need. I'm going to provide you with the strength that you need in this weakness. I'm going to enable you to resist this temptation in this way or that way. So once again, let that soak in this morning. Remind yourself of this when you wake up every morning, that Jesus, the God of the universe, stands ready to serve you. And that's why he came. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. He can, he will, and he wants to serve you today. This is the good news of the gospel. One of the most wonderful experiences in life, for those who've been kind of privileged to enjoy it, is bringing your newborn baby home. Um, one of the sweetest moments I've, I've experienced. And when Sarah and I brought our daughters, Grace and Eva, home from the hospital and all their kind of beautiful, newborn, cuddly squidginess, they depended on Sarah and I for everything. Absolutely everything. We didn't need anything from them. There's nothing they could do for us. Like, they, they could do nothing. But without us providing everything that they needed, they wouldn't be alive. They would have died. Aside from what Sarah and I could do for them as their parents, they were helpless in the face of their need. Same goes for us. I want you to get that picture this morning. That Jesus tells us that anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will not enter it. This is the heart of Christianity. Jesus did not come in search of servants who would help him out or who would offer him something that he needed. Christ came to serve you and you can't live without him doing that. Trust in him to serve you with salvation, but then trying to follow him on your own strength. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says, don't do it, it doesn't work. But what's more, you, you don't need to waste your life trying. He didn't come to be served by you, but to serve you. 
Everything in the Christian life depends on Jesus serving us. Everything in the universe depends on God and his goodness serving us. Absolutely everything. That's why abiding in him and he in us is crucial to the Christian life. Because this is the way that we daily acknowledge, God, I need you. I need your help. You want to pursue him more faithfully through prayer and time in his words? You're going to need help to do that. You want to be the spouse or the parent that he calls you to be? You're going to need his help to do that. You need his help in everything. Because there's no aspect of our lives in which we don't need our help. And at some stage where we don't need to say, God, help us. I myself have had moments in the past two weeks when, among other things, I haven't remotely known how I was getting this sermon prepped. Um, And so I prayed, Lord, help me. But decisions, struggles, temptations, times when we plead for God's grace or wisdom, we need him to serve us. Not serve us in our own interests, but serve us in our pursuit of him. We need him every single day. Maybe this morning you've never been willing to let Jesus serve you. Maybe you've thought Christianity is for the weak. You think you maybe don't need God to serve you this morning? Are you self-sufficient? Are you good enough to do it by yourself? But let me ask you, where do you get the breath to wake up out of your sleep every morning? Where does the food and water to keep you alive come from? Who makes it possible for you to work and have a family? Everyone here, all of us, are God-dependent in every facet of life, whether we're willing to admit it or not. So even if you're angry with God right now, the very breath and energy that you require to be in that state comes from the one that you're angry with. We all need God to serve us. And a relationship with him begins with realizing that. And it continues only when we continue to realize and remember that and be aware of that moment by moment and day by day. Christmas means that the Son of Man comes. And when he comes, he demands something and he promises something. He demands your life, all of it, every single bit of it. He demands that you take on a lifestyle that sacrifices everything for the sake of serving others but he also promises to be our help and to meet our every need as we do so. This verse that we see in Mark 10, 45 is what turns Christianity into good news. Because if Christianity was only about a great or radical teacher calling for the sacrificial obedience of radical disciples, it wouldn't be good news. It would just be another worldly ideology, another philosophy, another moral improvement program, another piece of law to condemn us. Christmas only meant that a man appeared on the scene of history to call others to be servants, it wouldn't be good news. Because we we know already that we're to love and serve and sacrifice rather than than seek our own gain and, and boast and be selfish. We don't need Jesus to tell us that. But what we do need is a savior, someone who can forgive our sins and ransom us from guilt and death and the wrath of God someone who can give us a new life with the help and the power that we need to die to ourselves each and every day in his service. This is what Christmas is all about. This is what Mark 10, 45 is all about. Jesus doesn't come as merely another teacher or philosopher. He comes to do two things. Firstly, to give his life a ransom for many, which Andrew will look at with you next week. 
and he comes to serve his disciples, to serve all of those who will stop trying to earn his approval by serving him, all those who will humble themselves like little children and accept their need and let him serve them. Jesus Jesus doesn't just show us a path or an example to follow to gain his acceptance. He himself is the help we need and the power that we need. He's our redeemer from guilt and death and hell, and he's our helper day in, day out, as he serves us by the power of his spirit. So this morning, if you want what Jesus has to give, you can't buy it, you can't earn it, you can't work for it, you've nothing to offer him. He already owns you and your money and everything else you've got. And when you do work and strive and toil, it's only because he's given you life and breath and everything that you have to do so. We've nothing, nothing of value that is not already his by right. We can't service him. He's no needs even if we were able to service him, which we can't. He never grows tired, never gets hungry, never lonely. So all we can do is submit to his radical, spectacular, scandalous offer to be our servant. And this is what faith is. This is what it looks like to put our trust in Jesus. It's a willingness to let him be God. To trust him to be the supplier, the strengthener, the counselor, the guide, and the savior that we desperately need. And being satisfied with that being satisfied for all that God is for us in Jesus. That's what faith is. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be a Christian. And that is how we can most glorify God, not by providing his needs and trying to serve him, but by praying that he would provide ours. The Son of Man was the servant of his people and our example of service while he walked on earth, but he is still our servant now. He saves us from our sin and he stays with us as our servant. So whatever we're going through, whatever you're going through this morning, Jesus is willing and able to serve you with everything your soul needs. There's no circumstance in life where you'll you'll turn to Jesus, you'll look to him and he'll say, sorry, I'm out on this one, don't look at me. In despair, in suffering, in depression, Jesus wants to serve you with joy and with hope. When you face pain and grief, Jesus wants to serve you with peace and with comfort. The great news of the Bible is not even just that God can and does do this for us, but he wants to. Do you want to condense and crystallize the meaning of Christmas? Jesus came to serve you. Jesus came to take away all your sin, to take away all your struggles with sin, with worry, with fear, with anger, with lust, with envy, with pride, with apathy, no matter what. The one who has all power and authority to do so is saying to you, I came and I'm here to serve you. One day we'll all die. Happy thought this Christmas, right? It's the ultimate statistic. One in every one of us will die. But in that moment, the king who conquered death will still be there to serve you and usher you into his kingdom. So look to him, love him, worship him, because today and every day, Jesus is your servant.
It's almost Christmas. We're two weeks out today. Open your heart to receive the best present, the best gift imaginable. Jesus giving himself to die for you and to serve you from now through all the rest of eternity. What an incredible thought. Receive this this morning. Turn away from sin and pride and efforts to help yourself. Become like little children. Trust him. Trust him with your life. Trust him with your life today and every day because he's willing, he's able, and he's faithful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's so difficult to even wrap our heads around some of these truths. The reality of how far you were willing to go for us. Thank you this morning for the way you love us, the way you came to us in your Son to serve us. We confess to you this morning our neediness, our deep and constant neediness, God. There's no part of our lives in which we can say we don't need you. This morning, God, we say we need you. We need your help and we praise you for being our helper. The thought that you, the God of our universe, would be our helper, that Jesus, you would stoop to serve us. We thank you, Lord. And we pray, Jesus, please serve us today. Serve us, strengthen us, satisfy us, help us. Ask you, Lord, to provide for us in all the ways that we need today. We pray for these things with, with grateful hearts. We remember you coming to earth. Thank you for your love for us, for your humility and your grace and your willingness and desire to serve us. Help us to trust you with our lives in a way that brings glory to your name, Jesus. For it's in your glorious and most worthy name. Amen.